There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. Music has always had the power to uplift and unite people for the common good, and perhaps this case has never been stronger than during the fight for civil rights. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We celebrate Black History Month with a look at the music of the civil rights movement. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRogatis, and that's Martin Luther King Jr. with his famous I Have a Dream speech. Now, King spoke those words standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial on August 28, 1963. They're words that many of us have had to memorize in school, ones that we've echoed to our children. And when we think of the civil rights era, perhaps that's the sound and image that come to mind first. But we're going to argue today that the music made an equally powerful impact. The March on Washington in August of 63 hundreds of thousands of African-Americans, mostly African-Americans, converging there. Some say as high as 300,000, one of the largest gatherings of African-Americans in this country's history, to witness a series of speeches by the country's civil rights leaders. But an important component of that event was the music. The soundtrack for the revolution was occurring at the same time as the revolution. The music was its lifeblood, Greg, and we look at this as an historical event now. But I think that, you know, certainly when we hear Dr. King speak, it brings to life the emotion of the moment. But even more so, going back to some of the great civil rights anthems, the songs that inspired the movement, the songs that chronicled it, the songs that talked about the failures, you know, it brings that moment to life. And it still inspires me when I hear this stuff more than half a century later. I think what we saw, especially at that march in 63, was the melding of the gospel and church music that had been so near and dear to African Americans for centuries in this country, meeting the modern folk protest movement. So you had gospel singers Mahalia Jackson and Marian Anderson performing before King's speech. You also had Joan Baez and Bob Dylan up there. It was a a symbolic moment where these movements merged together. And you saw a whole new thing sort of coming out of it. 
a new flavor to the type of music. Gospel melding into soul music, into protest music from the folk movement. These three areas of music coming together on that particular day. I mentioned that Baez and Dylan performed. They were very involved with the civil rights movement. But it was also important that the gospel community be heavily represented because for a long time, the only place in America where African-Americans could really speak their mind was in the confines of the church. That's why the, the church was so important to the development of that community in this country. They could speak their minds. They could sing what was on their mind. A lot of times the ministers would sing their sermons. Uh, there was a guy, a Re- Reverend Clay Evans in Chicago, that would literally sing his sermons. The music was part of the fabric of the service, of the message that was going out to the community. Well, and the enemies of integration thought that the church was such an important place. There's that horrible incident of the bombing of the 16th Street Church in Mm -hmm. Alabama, one of the key moments in the civil rights movement. The the, the church was a source of the community, and in, in many ways it's impossible to imagine the civil rights movement happening without it. And the fact that Mahalia Jackson was there to perform was indeed symbolic. She was the greatest gospel performer of that era, And her performance at the March on Washington of How I Got Over was an important moment for a lot of people who were there because that song had developed iconic status within the black community. It was a gospel song, but at the same time it had a message. It was written by Clara Ward when she and her family were on the road in the early 50s and they got pulled over and basically a chronicle of that that event, how I got over, how I got through this ordeal. We got yeah. pulled over by white people whose intention was to harass us, if not possibly kill us, in Mississippi in the early 50s. How are we going to get through this? That song chronicles that moment. So Mahalia Jackson singing that song before King's speech had tremendous resonance with that audience. Greg, you can certainly hear the church in the voice of Mahalia Jackson in that song, How I Got Over. But in addition to gospel, wasn't jazz also integral to the civil rights movement? Weren't the the jazz clubs of the late 50s as important a source of the birth of that movement as the church? 
Well, jazz was the language of, of that community as much as gospel in many ways. And um, the fact that jazz music got political around this time was not lost on many of its listeners. You mentioned the horrible tragedy at the Alabama church in 63, that bombing where four young black girls were killed. John Coltrane doing this evocative tone poem called Alabama about that particular incident. That was not lost on that community. Charles Mingus, one of our favorites, always a very political artist, very outspoken in his interviews, but also in his music. He brought in a lot of gospel music into what he was doing around this period, very specifically because of what was going on in the civil rights area. Now, I'm glad you said that because a lot of people wouldn't count it, but I think his autobiography, Beneath the Underdog, is one of the great civil rights era books. Oh, Absolutely. And, and a, a song, a composition like Fables of Faubus, where he was talking, he name-checked the Arkansas governor, Orville Faubus. That was the guy who ordered the National Guard to prevent those black students from integrating those Little Rock schools. Mm. And Mingus, if you hear this song, you know, it's, he puts this little poem in the middle of this yeah. jazz composition where he points the finger at Faubus saying, you're an idiot, basically, yeah. for doing this. Then, one of the great jazz masterworks of all time, the 1960 album, an album-long cycle about the civil rights movement, We Insist Freedom Now Sweet, a jazz masterpiece composed by drummer Max Roach and lyricist Oscar Brown Jr., and sung by Roach's wife at the time, Abby Lincoln. Basically, beginning to end, traces the history of African Americans in this country from the slave and sharecropping days through the civil rights movement, and then joins them up with the struggles of the black community back in Africa, particularly South Africa. This is a mind-blowing piece of work in 1960, and Brown's lyrics, very politically oriented, sung with a great deal of passion and emotion by Abby Lincoln. You know, let's take a listen to that first song on the suite, Drive a Man, by Max Roach from 1960's We Insist, here on Sound Opinions. Horse. When his cat or nine tail fly, 
happy just to die. Run away and you'll be found by his big old red bone house. Paddy Roller, bring you back. Make you sorry you is black. Drive a man, he made a life. But a mammy ain't his wife. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quit in time. That was Drive a Man by Max Roach, sung by Abby Lincoln. If you're just joining us on Sound Opinions, we're talking about influential music of the civil rights movement. That's right, Jim. I want to turn next to the Freedom Singers. That's the story of the Freedom Singers from 1962, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee set up by the Freedom Singers basically to spread the message of nonviolence nationwide. Um, the, the singers that they employed, Bernice Johnson, Rutha Harris, Charles Neblett, Cordell Hull Reagan, they were already part of the movement. And they also happened to be great singers steeped in gospel church music. And in 62-63, I mean, they traveled around the country. I mean, we're talking about 100,000 miles they put in on the road, singing at rallies, singing at marches. They put their lives on the line in a lot of ways. Neblet, for example, talks about being thrown in jail numerous times, getting beaten up, being tear-gassed. The music was integral to the marches. It was like they were stealing the soldiers for battle. Songs gave you the courage to go through that phalanx of police clubs and dogs and, and the tear fire gas. Hoses, yeah. You know, it was it was a tough duty that these people had. When you have Mahalia and Odetta appearing at, you know, as part of King's March on Washington in, in August of sixty three, you also had the Freedom Singers as part of that. And they were also invited to the Newport Folk Festival in Rhode Island a few weeks earlier. Again, another important event in that summer of 63, where you saw Dylan, Joan Baez, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the staple singers, joining up with the merger of the gospel and the folk movements. And right at the center of it, you had the freedom singers. They adapted a lot of the old spirituals and gospel songs for the movement, changed the lyrics to adapt them to what the needs were of that particular day or or of that particular rally. So you had songs like This Little Light and Will the Circle Being Unbroken, but also original songwriting as well factored into it. One of the great songs that came out of that era was written by a composer named Marshall Jones, and it was sung by the Freedom Singers. It's called In the Mississippi River. It basically talks about that summer of 64 in Mississippi where they were searching. Remember the great search for those three missing civil rights workers? You right. know, they went down there to work on the, the Voting Rights Act and, and to sort of expand the rights of black people in Mississippi. They went missing. They started trolling the Mississippi River for their bodies. While they were searching for these three civil rights workers, they pulled up numerous bodies of African-Americans who had been lynched, shot, mutilated, and dumped in the river. So it became this, like, national atrocity. All the media was down there. All the big networks were down there documenting what was going on. And uh, Marshall Jones wrote this song to bear witness to what was going on there. It's called In the Mississippi River, recorded in 1965 by the Freedom Singers on Sound Opinions. Count them a three by three. Do you want to see? Count them a four by four. 
Incredibly powerful stuff in the Mississippi River from the Freedom Singers. And we'll talk more about the music from this era after a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
I'd be a slave I'd be buried in my grave Go home to my Lord and be free Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and you're listening to our celebration of the music of the African-American civil rights movement in the 1960s. You just heard a little bit of Odetta singing, I'm on my way. She performed that at the famous rally in Washington, D.C. in 1963, where King delivered his I Have a Dream speech. Odetta's famously referred to by many as the voice of the civil rights movement, but she's not the only one. Another one is Nina Simone. Yeah, we've already mentioned a couple of times the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Greg. Nina Simone was not only inspired by that event, she'd later say that her entire career was derailed by that inspiration. The song, Mississippi Goddamn, an incredibly powerful song that was first released on a live album, Nina Simone in Concert, recorded at Carnegie Hall, of all places, in 1964. I can think of few in the history of popular music that are more powerful than this tune. It is expressing her anger at Birmingham and at the Mississippi killings. She says it point blank. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. I mean every word of it. Alabama's gotten me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest, and everybody knows about Mississippi. Goddamn. You know, the demands she's making are fairly reasonable. All I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. But the anger rises in a way that, you know, Dr. King was preaching nonviolence, following in the footsteps of Mahatma Gandhi. But people were angry, and I think the music was a safe place to let it out. You know, we had to stand arm in arm and be peaceful in the famous marches. And, and this song was one that Simone sang at one of those huge marches from Selma to Montgomery. But, you know, the music was was where you could really let it all hang out. And you can hear the bile raising. Oh, but this whole country is full of lies. You're all going to die and die like flies, unless, of course, you change these horrible ways. I mean, it's an incredible piece of music. Nina Simone with Mississippi Goddamn on Sound Opinions. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. I mean every word of it. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi, goddamn. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi, goddamn. Can't you see? feel it it's all in the air i can't stand the pressure much longer somebody say a prayer alabama's got me so upset tennessee made me lose my rest and everybody knows about mississippi goddamn this is a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet Hound dogs on my trail School children sitting in jail Black cat cross my path I think every day's gonna be my last Lord have 
have mercy on this land of mine We all gonna get it in due time I don't belong here, I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in prayer Don't tell me, I'll tell you Me and my people just about do I've been there so I know Keep on saying, go slow. Well, that's just the trouble. Washing the windows. Picking the cotton. You're just plain rotten. You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Picket lines, school boycotts, they try to say it's a communist plot. All I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. Yes, you lied to me all these years. You told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady. And you'd stop calling me Sister Sadie. Oh, but this whole country is full of lies. You all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust you anymore. You keep on saying, go Go slow Well that's just the trouble Desegregation Mass participation Unification Do things gradually Simone with Mississippi Goddamn from that 1964 concert at Carnegie Hall. I'm Jim Deergatis. I'm here with Greg Cott, and we're talking about the music of the civil rights movement. I mentioned that Nina Simone would also perform that song at another historic rally at the end of one of the marches from Selma to Montgomery in 1965. But before we talk about those marches, let's stay in 64, Greg. It's an important year for the music and the movement. There's no doubt it was, Jim. You know, Simone... What an incredible version of that song, first of all. I mean, I love it. In the middle of it, she's still got this sort of wicked humor. That it's, it's a show tune, but the show hasn't been written yet. 64 was an important year. A lot of artists started stepping up and performing songs like this, not only performing them, 
But radio stations were playing them. These were hits. And I think that's an important distinction. You know, you heard gospel music in the, in the black churches, in the black community, but you weren't hearing it sort of spread across the nation where everybody was hearing it. And that's exactly what was happening in the 60s when the civil rights movement started to flourish. Here in Chicago, WVON was a new station with an all-black programming staff and playing largely, although not solely, black music. Let's bring in one of its disc jockeys, the great Herb Kent. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks for coming on Sound Opinions. Hey, I like that word, great. (laughs) You are still the cool gent, Herb. (laughs) Thank you, and I got to say... I sharpen my teeth here at uh, WBEZ. It's ruined <laughs> many a fine young lad. <laughs> yeah, it's ruined a lot of lives. <laughs> so, Herb, you were DJing yes. during this era that we're talking about, 63 in particular, but uh, mm-hmm. the 60s in general. When you started to hear the voice not only of great African-American music, but protests, mm-hmm. and, and the voice of social consciousness starting mm-hmm. to creep in, mm-hmm. you know, did you notice this change as a DJ, and how, how difficult was it for you to start playing songs with political content as opposed to just, you know, straight-up love songs or, or, or Oh, it was, it was easy. Uh, WVON, we were right in the heart of everything. We're the Bowen Pom Pom Girls, and we like to say right on to Herb Kent and WVON. Herb Kent! That's me, baby. I'm a Libra disc jockey. It was in the air. It was. It wasn't like it came out of that mm-hmm. field because sure. this thing had been growing for a long time. WVON. Uh, well, at first it was called the Voice of the Negro, uh, but no one liked the term Negro. But it really it was the voice of uh, black people. Leonard Chess had the foresight to make sure that we mirrored everything that happened. Mm. And I remember. All the DJs were invited out to uh, different protest meetings, different. There were a lot of civil rights leaders back in the day. Yeah. For the first time, black people got together and got to realize that together they could get a lot of things done. Herb, tell us about when Dr. King was shot in 1968. You took to the air trying to calm people in Chicago because people were ready to, to riot. People were ready to raise Well, up. that's something else that we did. We, we devoted a couple of days. Radio, as you know, is a powerful force. We took the disc jockeys who worked like six-hour shifts, one after the other, and we, we didn't play any music. All we did was, please don't tear your neighborhood up, because the riots had started yeah. and stuff, and uh, being home was instrumental, I think, in, in really quelling the riot. Uh, it, it could have been a lot worse. We went out, talked to people in the park, different places, talked on the radio, Not like I say, nonstop, and had folks call in. We had everybody call in. Uh, the mayor called in. The Blackstone Rangers called in. Chief of police called in. Because yeah. it's a powerful voice yeah. to express their opinion. And the whole thing was that please don't destroy your own home because that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, let's try to negotiate out of this thing. Well, well, it's interesting, Herb, because yes. I think the DJs at the radio station served a similar role in people's lives uh, especially in the black community, that the ministers did in the churches. I mean, people, when they yeah. weren't in church, they were listening to the DJs, and they I were listening to the music that, that way, they played. But you're right, you know, because we could say, well, go meet Butterball in front of DuSable High School, and about eight or 900 people would be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. it, was, it was very powerful. So if you played a record, you know, that was kind of like the Herb Kent stamp of approval. Yeah. This is something you need to hear. It was a number one. <laughs> <laughs> 
was Herb Kent, an urban radio pioneer, talking to us on Sound Opinions. Greg, we don't always hear political songs on the radio these days, but in the 60s, you got these messages of protest and power on the stations playing the hits. Sam Cooke is a really good example of this kind of crossover artist who lent credibility to the movement and the style of music that accompanied it. Absolutely. I mean, Cooke was this terrific singer, velvet-voiced, very suave, smooth kind of guy out of the south side of Chicago who transitioned from gospel music into pop. And when he went pop... He lost a little bit of the edge in his voice. He sort of smoothed it out. He became yeah. this kind of congenial party guy. But in 63, we mentioned the importance of Dylan as part of this nexus of gospel and folk and protest music. The song Blown in the Wind, no matter what you think of it as a song, it had tremendous resonance. How many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind And it struck Sam Cooke, he would listen to that song over and over again, and he was struck, how could this kid from northern Minnesota know how I feel. He seems to be expressing it exactly the way I feel in this song. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? Cook is going, man, if he can do it, I've got to step up to the plate too. I've got to write something (laughs) as good as this. So he spent a year basically working on a song called A Change Is Gonna Come. Started working on it in 63. He died in late 64, tragic death. Some people call it a murder. He was shot to death at a hotel. There was another woman involved. It was a big scandal in the African-American community. But the song that he had been working on so carefully for over a year finally came out soon after his death. A Change is Gonna Come is definitely a change in the way Sam Cooke approached music. There's an edge to his voice that we hadn't heard before in his pop material and, and a plea for understanding. You know, the song's narrator is talking about, I'm asking my brother for help, but he winds up knocking me back down to my knees. Cook had never done anything quite like it. There was a sense that this was the direction he might have moved in had he lived, but he left behind this amazing piece of protest music. A Change Is Gonna Come was considered a huge risk in his career. That's why he was spending so long working on it. He wanted to make sure it got exactly right. And even then, his record company only released it as a B-side to a typical Sam Cooke single called Shake. But on its own right, DJ started flipping the single over and playing A Change Is Gonna Come. And it, it in it itself became a top 40 single. Sam Cooke with A Change Is Gonna Come on Sound Opinions. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh, yes it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there 
beyond the sky It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Telling me don't hang around. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Then I go to my brother. Say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. Oh, there have been times. A Change is Gonna Come from the late, great Sam Cooke. A huge hit in 1964, as you said, Greg. We're going to play the other song that ruled the airwaves and brought the civil rights movement into the pop charts when we come back on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Tell you something, children, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, yeah. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I let it shine. Let it shine to show my love. I'm gonna tell you that everywhere I go. We may not have a cent to pay the rent, but we're gonna make it. I know we will. We may have to eat. Every day, but we're gonna make it. I know we will. And if a job is hard to find, and we have to stand in the welfare line, I've got your love, and you know you've got mine. So we're gonna make it. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. We're wrapping up our special celebration of the great protest music of the civil rights era. As we've been saying, music made as much of an impact and brought about as much change as did the speeches and the marches. Before we went to the break, we talked about these protest songs breaching the tops of the pop charts. A Change Is Gonna Come is a great example, but the other big one, Keep On Pushing by The Impressions. You know, Curtis Mayfield is one of the great underheralded geniuses in American music. People remember him primarily for Superfly these days, I think, but with The Impressions and then as a solo artist, his work was so soulful, so emotional, and yet so spot on politically. With Keep On Pushing, he was saying, we're making strides. And in 64, the civil rights movement was beginning to make strides. But he said, we can't get comfortable. I'll admit, you know, I lost it the night that Barack Obama, a senator from Chicago who I'd met once, speaks at the Democratic National Convention. It is his big debut on stage in 2004. And they usher him out with that that song, you know. I mean, what a moment in American history. Keep on pushing by the impressions from 64. Keep Keep on pushing. I've got to keep on pushing. Mm-hmm. I can't stop now. Move up a little higher. Some way or somehow. Cause I've got my strength. Keep on pushing That is the impressions with their 1964 hit, Keep On Pushing. Now, you'd mentioned earlier the Selma to Montgomery march. That was an important moment in the civil rights movement, March of 65. Now, with those who said that we would get here only over that dead body, well, uh, no, no, yes. all the world today knows that 
We are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying we ain't going to let nobody turn us around. That's right. That's right. What happened here was there was a civil rights worker named Jimmy Lee Jackson who was killed at a protest in Marion, Alabama. And a week later, on March 5th, 600 marchers attempted to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma on their way to uh, Montgomery to protest this, this killing. The marchers never got across that bridge. They were attacked by police who were armed with clubs, dogs, tear gas. That was known as Bloody Sunday in the civil rights movement. The, the carnage was just incredible. The future congressman, John Lewis, was part of that march. He suffered a fractured skull. They attempted this march again, and uh, finally in, on March 25th, 25,000 protesters strong, managed to get from Selma to Montgomery, where Martin Luther King spoke yet again. The Staple Singers by then were a world-famous group. They were touring not only the States, but over in Europe, out of Chicago. They were part of the movement. They had met King a couple of years earlier. They were already part of his rallies. Many of his speeches included music by the Staples singers. Pop Staples, the the patriarch of the family, was a very interested observer. He wrote the song Freedom Highway specifically for this moment in our country's history. There is a fantastic live recording of the Staples singers from 1965 called, in fact, Freedom Highway. Billy Sherrill, the Epic Records producer who was working with the group at the time, flew into Chicago. They set up shop at a church, New Nazareth Church, on the south side of Chicago on 79th Street. Mm. You know, the idea was Billy Sherrill, great producer, was going to capture the Staple Singers in their environment, in their element, in front of a church audience performing material that uh, certainly had the gospel base, but was saying a lot more than just like, you know, we're going to wait till we get to heaven to get our reward. No, Pop Staples was advocating, we deserve some kind of reward down here on earth as well. This was a great moment in the Staple Singer's career. You had uh, Pops on vocals, as well as his daughters, Mavis and Cleotha, as well as Purvis Staples, but you had this great band behind them, Al Duncan on drums and Phil Upchurch on bass. It was a power trio with mm-hmm. pops on guitar. It, mm-hmm. They were really laying it down, and you can hear the fire in the voices and in the congregation greeting that energy on uh, Freedom Highway from 1965. It's the Staple Singers on Sound Opinions. Sound to Montgomery, Alabama. I know some of you know about that. That was in March 1965. And from that march, words were revealed. And a song was composed. And we wrote a song about the freedom marchers. And we call it the Freedom Highway. And we're dedicating this number to all of the freedom marches. And it goes something like this. Yeah. 
was the staple singers performing Freedom Highway in 1965. I want to jump ahead a few years here to sort of bring this whole discussion full circle, Jim. And that was the Watts Stacks concert in Los Angeles in 1972, which kind of brings the era to a close in some ways. The largest gathering of African Americans since the March on Washington at that Watts Stacks concert, more than 100,000 people to see this performance by the artists on the Memphis-based Stacks Records label. And the whole day kicks off with a powerhouse performance by one of the Stacks Records vocalists, Kim Weston, on the song Lift Every Voice and Sing. Uh, it was described by Jesse Jackson, who introduced Weston, as the black national anthem, and had mm. really taken over as the song for the black power movement of the late 60s and early 70s. It was a turn-of-the-century poem that had been turned into music and been passed along through the decades, and Weston just really took it to church on that day in 1972 in Los Angeles. Mr. Kim Weston, the black national anthem. Try. 
That's a little bit of Kim Weston performing the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice, and Sing at the Watts Stacks concert in 72. That's our take on the civil rights music, but we want to hear from you. What are your memories of the music of this historic period? And do you think any songs today match it in the power of protest? Call 888-859-1800. Greg, what do we got on the show next week? Jim, have we got a show that you're going to love? Your inner 13-year-old is going to love this show at least. Rush is on Sound Opinions. Yes! Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Libby Gormley. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, Jim and Greg. My name is Frank Fletcher. I live in Philadelphia. Just listened to the Lost Lobo show. Brought back a great memory. First time I saw them was in 1994 the Philadelphia Folk Festival. They played a great set of their own material. Just just a beautiful day. When they finished their set, uh, the encore, they came back out. They said, where we come from, this is known as a folk song. And they broke into Neil Young, Cinnamon Girl, and the crowd just went crazy. I miss them. I haven't seen them in a while, and the show's going to get me back out to Thanks for playing them. This is Peter Sloan from Kansas City calling to share a story related to Los Lobos that uh, was significant in my wife's and I relationship. And she had asked me to go, and this was when we were dating, and asked me to go to Los Lobos concert. And all I had known was the La Bamba song, and I had no desire to go because I thought I didn't want to go to some band that just did that. But she drugged me, and it was um, during the tour of La Pistola, La Corzon. And so she brought me to the Burgundy Music Center in Boston. And from that moment on, um, I became a massive Los Lobos fan. That was remains one of the best musical performances I've ever seen. And it uh, led to us ultimately getting married and having six kids. So Los Lobos has played a huge role into our family's relationship and my appreciation for them as a band. Um, thanks very much. Hey, Sound Opinions. This is Will Goodman calling from Mount Kisco, New York. Uh, I'm calling to comment on the Los Lobos show that you did this past week. I just finished listening to the terrific podcast. 
one of the comments I couldn't agree with more is that if this band were new, everyone would be jumping up and down. But because they've been around for four decades, not so much. I was first introduced to them with the first album. I don't know if it's officially the first album, but Will the Wolf Survive was a fantastic record when it came out sometime in the 80s. I had just graduated college. I loved it. And I've been following it ever since. The first time I saw them in concert was the La Pistola y El Corazón concert. I believe I saw it at Carnegie Hall, and it was all acoustic. Amazing show. Esta noche tan oscura, con sus sombras tan tranquila, el viento me sigue cantando esta humilde canción. Finally, I have to make a, another comment about Kiko, which is it amongst my top ten albums of all time. I remember when I first got it and listened to it, it was pretty dense. And I wasn't sure. And I went back and listened to it three, four, five, ten times, and it just kept growing on me, like all great albums do. And anybody who hasn't listened to it, definitely treat yourself to some time with it. Put on the headphones, sit back, and really dig in, because these guys are very special. And uh, keep on rolling. Bye-bye. Because when the lights turning No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.